The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Jaws of Justice Radio investigates how we can achieve justice from a system of laws deeply rooted in economic, social, and political inequality. We hope you will listen. To begin our hour, host Bev Livingston will speak with author Bobby Bostick. Bobby Bostick served the longest sentence in Missouri given to a juvenile for non-homicide offenses. He was convicted in 1997 and sentenced to 241 years. During his more than 20 years of incarceration, Bobby Bostick grew to adulthood, and with the input of others who were also sent to prison at a young age, he developed a program to teach young people how to avoid the school-to-prison pipeline. His case attracted considerable media attention due to changing laws regarding life sentences for minors. In 2021, a new law passed allowing Bostick to apply for parole. His application was approved and he was released on November 9, 2022. Now free, Bobby Bostick will tell listeners about his work. On the second part of our hour, host Melvin Merritt will speak with Gina Chiala, Executive Director and Staff Attorney at Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom. Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom is working so that people of all races and backgrounds will have the power and influence to assure that everyone who works can live a full life free of abuse, exploitation, and poverty. Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom is beginning their annual fund drive. Please, Stay tuned to learn what they do and how you can help. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Time to stay tuned in and hear our show. Good morning, Bobby Bostick. What a pleasure it is to have you on Jaws of Justice this morning. How are you, sir? I'm blessed. And you deserve a welcome home for being here. How many days now? Minutes and seconds? No, just give us the number of days you've been home. Uh, It's uh, 373 days. What a joy it was for me to meet you at the summit that we both attended last week for the Empower Missouri Advocacy Movement. And your keynote speaking was very, very inspiring, informative, and most important, it was an empowering moment for those who had been formerly incarcerated that were in the room to see how you came home with not a bitter attitude or spirit, you came home with an energy ready to serve, sharing with the people what we need to hear about and know about and what makes you tick. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience today and just tell us anything that you want to share at the beginning of this show, because we've got some real meat to put on the bone later. So I hope our listeners will buckle their seatbelts. Oh, yeah. Uh, as far as coming home, I'm ready to do the advocacy work because in prison, we didn't have much of a voice, but we wanted to do advocacy. We have a lot of solutions to the problems because many of us as former criminals, we was the problem. 
And now we have a solution, but we don't have a table, a seat at the table. So now I'm out to speak for all those prisoners and all the solutions that we can offer to society. Awesome. As you can see, there is a seat at the table for you and many seats at the table for our brothers who have, I've heard, promised to come home, serve the community, try to do some things to make lemonade out of the lemons that they have been given for the excessive sentencing, the wrongful convictions, the other things that really warranted a person to come home and just not want to have anything to do with fixing it. And you have that energy and that spirit of not wanting to see another brother or anybody go through the system of justice, but we call it the system of injustice, some of us, because we have experienced how we are criminalizing people and being criminalized for being poor. And that is something that we'll talk about a little later in the show. But I would like to um, share with the audience how I heard you during a community outreach last week. And I guess you were doing door knocking or giving flyers to people about a holiday giveaway or something. And just the warm, welcoming expressions of glad to see you, Bobby. Hello, brother. All of that really let me know that the city of St. Louis is glad to see their brother, Bobby Bostic, home. How did that happen, brother? How did you manage to get home? You had 200 plus years to serve. What happened? Uh, what happened was uh, I was a juvenile, first and foremost. I was a child when I committed a crime. But what really got me home is that same advocacy that I'm doing on the street. I did it from a prison cell, writing hundreds of letters every other week. And I did that for months. I didn't, I can't even keep count, but it's over 10, 20,000 letters I wrote to churches, criminal rights organizations, justice reform organizations, coalitions, state representatives, anybody in the world who would listen, media, and I was telling them about the injustice of my case, and eventually that made people get behind me in the media when they did the research. I had more time than any child in the state of Missouri, and they made them contact the judge and asked her about it, and then hearing my lawyer hooking up, long story short, uh, four years of advocacy, Parsons wasn't going to let me out on the clemency, so they end up changing the law, and that was inspired by my case. And Senate Bill 26 allowed anybody who was under 18 to go over pro after they served 15 years. The judge was my delegate at my pro hearing after 26 years. And then they gave me a year out date. And I've been out a year now. So it's been a blessing. What an awesome testimony you have. And one morning I was having my tea and I saw you on Good Morning CBS. And the judge of all people became your best advocate. And to see the judge as she described you not being the same person that stood before her 20 plus years ago. And the man you are today, she applauded you. She gave you your props. Those letters that you wrote, brother, did not fall on deaf ears. And now here you are in the community 
live, enthusiastic, and able to make a difference for some of those young juvenile brothers that are making some of the worst mistakes of their lives with firearms, with thefts, with destruction. What would you say to them if we have any young people listening today, and especially the young men that come from poverty backgrounds, don't have the silver spoon in their mouths when they're born, and they're just trying to make it do what it do in their world. What would you say to them in terms of you from that juvenile to who you are today? Well, in that world, we call it getting from getting it from the mud because we don't have nothing, and it seems like dirt poor conditions we living in. So we call getting it from the mud meaning that we'll do it by any means necessary. But what I tell them is that we are the most hungriest entrepreneurs. We really technically businessmen, we just going about it doing it the wrong way. Not to censor stuff like stealing cars, but us to sell drugs, rob people, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the stuff that we're doing is to get money. We're the most hungriest school entrepreneurs there is. Only thing we got to do is channel that and put that into a business plan because we all got a gift. And if we can take that gift and put it into a business, we can actually get paid and we can do it with the same hunger we did in the street. But now it's not from a criminal point of view. It's to serve people because when you're giving the product, you're helping people. So that's what I'm teaching these kids when I go into the juvenile detention centers, which I go to three different juvenile detention centers in St. Louis and teach them how to write business plans, do job resumes and essays, et cetera. But what I teach them most of all is that we are the hungriest school of entrepreneurs. All we got to do is slip the criminal aspect around and then we can serve our communities and study home and destroying our community. Wow. You have just identified the secret sauce to any entrepreneur that has a business plan, has an idea for how they may want to build their business to care for their families, put money in their pockets and things of that sort. Will you tell me how does a young person begin to develop the mentality to know that they have within them a gift that was given at birth or whatever, however they want to identify it, and they can make it do what it do by taking that business plan and that idea to the next level. How would you recommend they follow through on that? I'm going to tell them how I started. started. First, before we became criminals, we didn't just jump out there before become criminals. First, we shoveled snow. We cut grass for money. We we took bags to people caught. We pumped gas at the filling station as young kids. It was only later when we were seven, eight, nine, ten. That's how we got money. We went door to door, knocked on doors, cut grass. Uh, we did whatever we did, cleaned up people's houses. We did all this as kids before we became criminals. We was already hustlers at a young age. We was young entrepreneurs then. We was out there cutting grass, shoveling snow. We was already inbred to be hustlers. It's just when we went to the streets, we got the wrong role models when we start hustling drugs. But first of all, what makes us the hungriest school entrepreneurs is that every time we go out there to sell a rock or a crack or a fitting or whatever we're selling, we taking the chance of going to prison or somebody robbing us. Uh, we breaking somebody's car and house and somebody can kill us. So we that hungry for money that we put our life on the line. That's what makes us the most hungry entrepreneurs on this earth because when you see us, when we out there selling drugs or robbing people, you see it in our eyes that we want the money. So we are the hungriest. No entrepreneur is hungrier than us. Only thing it is, because no another entrepreneur will go and sell something that it can give them 20 years if he's selling in the school zone. 
no other entrepreneur gonna go rob somebody and possibly get killed in the process of doing this robbery. Only thing it is that we are misguided. So the business plan is this here. When we in the streets, everybody got something that they're doing. This dude may be good with numbers. He may know how to gamble real good, or he may know how to uh, hide the money real good. We all got different gifts. And even as a kid, we like, man, remember when you was a kid, you wanted to do this and that and the other? All they got to do is tap back into their childhood essence. Like, when you was younger, you said you wanted to be an architect. You used to draw. You said you wanted to do this and that. You know how much money it is, Nick? Do you want to do four years in college, four years in high school, or 40 or 50 years in prison? Go back to school, become the, become the architect. Become whatever you want to be, but that gift is already within. So all we doing, or I'm doing personally, until I meet other people right now, I'm just one man show. But when I make connections, what I'm doing for now is trying to reach every youth that I can. Like, man, what's your gift? What's your talent? And then they say what it is, and I'm like, here go the resources. Go to this college. Go to this trade school. Do this, do that, and other. Get a building. It starts from, you know, get your credit up, and you got to start from where you at. You, it ain't going to happen overnight. Uh, the polish that we see with people that are successful is years behind the scenes that it took for them to get to where they're getting. So that's what I'm telling the youth. Like, it's not going to happen overnight, but enjoy the journey until you get there. Indeed. And one of the things I would like to add to the ingredients that you're kind of laying out there for those who want to get their hustle on and do it legitimately and earn money is that while you were doing those 25 plus years, advocates like myself were out here working on changing the game, such as ban the box. We help get ban the box off of applications. You cannot be denied a job opportunity, an interview, a home, a whatever, a car or whatever, because you had to check that box that says once upon a time you were incarcerated or convicted of a crime. Based on that, that has opened the door for a lot of people that didn't have a chance. We also have put in a lot of work and a lot of time from the federal level to the local level of getting places like SBA, the Small Business Administration, to give funding for loans and funding for entrepreneurs who are returning home from incarceration who need that gap funding. Maybe they got a little bit of capital to get their business started, but they need more money. We had a roundtable with the mayor here in Kansas City who agreed if there's anything the city can do to assist a formerly incarcerated person that's in the determinations program, which I was sitting at their table at the time, the city was willing to assist based on the collaborative efforts that are going on and the things that we were doing while you were writing those letters, we were trying to get those doors open so that when you touched down at home, it looked like a different place than when you left. We can't take away the, the gun-happy, thoughtless people that are out here shooting and committing homicides and crimes. We can't stop the people from stealing the cars, but as technology gets a little better, I think it's a little more difficult. But as we learn from mistakes that people have made and are making, we're trying to make it better for those who, A, learn their lesson. You, you probably have heard some elders in your family say, you're going to learn today. 
Have you ever heard that before somebody gets ready to get disciplined or spanked or what have you? That was like a song. It was like the anthem. And my brothers did learn some days that you cannot do what you do and disrespect the community and the people who have loved you and helped you become the young man and young woman that you are. I want to talk a little bit about the experience of being criminalized for being poor. And as you know, from the um, summit that we just attended, we learned some things and, and you lived some things and experienced some things that talks about how poor people are penalized and expected to pay just because they're poor. Um, the example that we heard on a Zoom call this morning was about the young lady that stole an $8 tube of mascara and she served over a year in a county jail in a small town, Dent County Jail, and she left with a bill of over $15,900 and monthly appointments in which she had to pay for that $8 tube of mascara. Can you talk a little bit about the criminalization of our people? And, and it's not just African-American people. This is happening to Latinos and immigrants and people who don't have that privilege card, you know? So can you can you just give us an example of what you find to still be the way it always was as it relates to criminalizing poor people? The way I look at that, or uh, the, the main thing that I know about that is that a lot of people committing crime is a result of drugs. And the reason that a lot of people are trying to get high is they're trying to escape their pain or their poverty, but they're doing it the wrong way. When they get on drugs, they they can't fund it, so they commit crimes to get high. And when you commit crimes to get high, mm -hmm. then society tends to take away their humanity. Uh, these people, before they became strong on drugs, they was they was a a, a worker, a mother, daughter, somebody's father. But when they out smoking crack or uh, fentanyl or whatever, make easy for a judge or something to say, let's rid the street of these type of people. It's easy for the politicians to say, okay, we got to crack down on these people here. But the res result of a lot of crime is due to poverty and drug addiction. And the drug addiction, as I said, comes from people suffering from poverty. And these people are criminalized and not helped. Uh, it's not like that's help. What's the root cause of why these people are on drugs? It's, uh, it's like, okay, we'll throw a few preventive dollars out there or a few dollars for rehabilitation or um rehabilitation for the drug offenders, but most of the money is spent on locking people up and harsher laws. So this is where criminalization starts at from poverty, first of all, and then drug addiction is the result of poverty. And then the criminalization just happened full scale. And this is how politicians or society tend to deal with those people. But those are our family members. When, when they get through with the drugs and all that, when we look at them inside, they're still our mother, sister, brother, and we need to help them instead mm -hmm. of just sending them away forever because the end result of a lot of their crime was due to drug addiction. Wow, you kind of put it right in perspective. And as we look at the 70s to the 90s, we had the war on drugs, we had the 94 crime bill, we had the 96 welfare reform. And from 1980 to 2000, the number of incarcerated folks went from 300,000 to over 2 million. From 1980 to 2013 date corrections, costs went from $6 billion to over $80 billion. 
I do not understand how the powers that be did not see that they are approaching it the wrong way. Let's talk about a little bit about how that money got spent when you talk about the criminalization cost and how they would take the money that they collect from people who were incarcerated or whatever. And it's kind of called backdoor tax, whatever you want to call it. But there were a lot of dollars spent on salaries, spent on renovations of facilities and courthouses and things of that sort. And the backdoor tax also helped private probation, third-party probation providers contract with the courts and charge for check-ins, drug testing, court appointments. That's where some of the private prisons and all of that came in because there was money to be made. The racial justice almost was non-existence, but the reliance on police departments and court systems causes over-policing, especially in Black communities. Incarceration just was not the answer. And as we look at the pipeline to prison right now, I'm engaged in a debt-free justice campaign to try to take those people who didn't have that $20 to pay for their probation parole visits and they were told they could go back because they didn't pay that. Well, I found out that many of those probation offices, it wasn't a mandatory contribution and revenue to the state budget and fund. It was a slush fund. And that slush fund is what really did not require the formerly incarcerated to pay that $20. They could see their probation officer whether they had the $20 or not, but they didn't know that because it was being enforced to feed the slush fund of that particular institution that they were still a part of the justice system, court system or whatever. But after the 2008 recession, lawmakers looked to increase court fines and fees just to help support the revenue needs that the budgets had. And it's just been one mess after the other. But I am so happy to say that we have found ways to stop feeding that pipeline to prison. We have found ways to help educate people so that their loved ones are not forgotten. And just a quick comment about the compassionate release where we have people who have aged in the prisons and that aging population costs more money because of medical conditions, medical needs, what have you, and they're really no longer a threat to society. What do you have to say about how the justice system needs to look at our senior population? They're over 65. They facilitate a lot of their programs. They always give advice to youngsters trying to help them, but yet they never get out. And it's fiscally irresponsible to keep those guys incarcerated when they can go for parole and the parole board serves as a mechanism to weed out guys who will be a threat to society, but the vast majority of those guys are not a threat to society because of their age and then their mentality after serving 30 or 40 years. So legislation should be passed this year to allow those guys to go up for parole after they serve 25 and, and those who are involved. I'm going to get involved. We should do all that we should do and push forward nonstop to get those guys to parole. It's fiscally irresponsible to keep them incarcerated because it costs more because the single citizens need more health needs. It costs way more to keep them in prison versus letting them out and let them educate whatever they qualify for. Thank you very much for that information because you are telling us what it's like on the inside and you're on the outside and you are just an excellent 
excellent example of how you can come home with a positive attitude and help change the game. I would like to let our listeners know how they can reach you in terms of your your books that you have, some awesome books. And on my Christmas list is the Dear Mother book that you wrote. But would you speak a little bit about your, your books and how to reach you and how to support you? Because you've done some awesome work. You've written, what, 15 books while you were incarcerated? Yeah, for the readers who first saw my social media, you can follow me on social media on my website. It's called minddiamonds.net. If you want to know the latest happenings to me, just Google Bobby Bostick. You can follow my social media also. And my books are available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold or in public libraries throughout Missouri. Uh, Just go asking for the books by Bobby Bostick. And just Google me and just keep up with what I'm doing. I got a nonprofit. Uh, we do twice monthly pop-ups throughout St. Louis, free toys, clothes, shoes, and food to those who are in need in the community. Because as I said, those who was part of the problem, we have a solution now. And I'm out in the community trying to be part of the solution. I salute you, my brother. The work that you're doing is outstanding to come home and just get involved in changing the perception of what someone that has spent so many years incarcerated can show. Resilience, great attitude, a wonderful spirit. Thanks be to God, you are in good health. And I am just going to enjoy the future with Bobby Bostick and the many gifts that you bring to the table. May you have a quality day and may our listeners Continue to join us on Jaws of Justice, and may everyone enjoy the rest of the week. What you ought to do is get yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and listen to good old country music every Monday morning, 10 until noon, on the Morning Medicine Show, right here on your community radio station, KKFI. Are you passionate about making a difference in your community? So are we. KKFI's Community Voices series is dedicated to featuring local individuals and organizations that are driving positive change. If you have a story to share or initiative that you want to showcase, we invite you to submit your information at kkfi.org slash community voices. Together, let's amplify your impact and inspire others to join the movement. Join us on Community Voices and to share the positive differences made in our communities. Now the calendar for the week of November 20th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Monday, November 20, 3 p.m. at St. Paul's United Methodist, 7740 Lackman Road, Overland Park, Kansas Governor Kelly on Medicaid expansion. If CanCare is on your list of enhanced support, you'll be interested in attending this roundtable discussion. Monday, 4 p.m., 
Heart of America Indian Center, KC Indian Center, is hosting at 4009 Blue Ridge Cutoff, Kansas City, Missouri, a Change the Name KC event. You can join up at the bus stop of Gate 1 at Arrowhead as Not in Our Honor and the Kansas City Indian Center protest the Kansas City Chiefs' 10th annual American Indian Heritage Month game. You can call for the KC Chiefs to listen to their own end zone and end racism. If you have lost faith in the franchise's ability to negotiate in good faith on ending racist practices such as the tomahawk chop, continued wearing of headdresses in the stadium, and the bastardization of the sacred drum, it's time for our Kansas City NFL team to become a team we can all be proud of. Change the name. You can find free Thanksgiving dinners and turkeys by looking at feedingamerica.org. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice radio Facebook page. Stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show and hear Melvin Merritt speaking with Gina Chiala of Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom. Good morning, Kansas City. Welcome to Jaws of Justice right here on KKFI 90.1 FM on your dial. I'm your host, Melvin Merritt, and I am interviewing this morning Miss Gina Shiala, and I'm hoping I'm not assassinating her last name. She's the director of Heartland Center right here in Kansas City, Missouri on 18th and Prospect. Kind of new to me, but I pass by it all the time, but, uh, was interesting to find out a little bit about what was going on and some things are going on right up on our nose and not even be not went, being aware of it. And I first would like to thank uh, Miss Gina, if I could not just repeat your name too many times, because I might assassinate it as I go. Uh, welcome to Jaws of Justice, Gina. Thank you, Melvin. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank glad you're here. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I was looking at it when I looked at it on your website and saw the building, and I said, well, I didn't know that was going on right there on the corner. And tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. I know you're in your fundraising uh, time right now. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some of the things that you're doing. Okay, that sounds great. Um so, you know, we are an organization that opened our doors in 2017. We grow out of Stand Up KC, the fast food workers organizing back then for $15 an hour in union rights. Um, and we saw the need to enforce the legal rights of low-wage workers back then and started the Heartland Center to do just that. Uh, and we intended in, in the beginning to focus on workplace rights almost exclusively. Um, however, as we were working with stand-up KC workers on strike lines um, and in their leadership training programs, they were continually telling us 
about housing issues. Um, it might be deplorable housing conditions, or it might be that they were facing an eviction. And that's because when your wages are too low, when you don't have paid sick leave, you don't have any paid time off, um, any, any small change in your life can lead to an eviction, a uh, cut of hours, or just simply rents going up and wages not keeping up. And so we found ourselves um, doing both housing work and employment. Uh, and so we've been on the front lines of defending low-wage workers from eviction cases while also um, launching a new program that seeks to affirmatively go after those landlords that are failing to maintain um, housing conditions that are safe and habitable. And then of course, we're also building out our workplace uh, rights project. And so we have a new fellow on board who's establishing a pro bono worker clinic that addresses, um, that addresses uh, workplace safety issues it addresses wage and hour problems where workers' wages are stolen, and then it also deals with unemployment. Um, and then all of this time, of course, we've been working on race discrimination and sexual harassment cases on the behalf of, of low-wage workers. So you, you just mentioned something about uh, pro bono, uh, which you just brought an attorney or something in, and and is that what you're... What yeah. you've done, and one of the other things, the other question I'm asking two of them, and how are you going about this fundraising? Are you setting up tents, or are you what? How are you going about that? Yeah, well, thank you for asking about that. Yeah, so we have a new attorney on board. It's our first Scadden fellow. Her name is Jordan Hoffman Kaylee. Uh, she's a wizard, and she is building up. And we already represent low wage workers in the workplace, but we realized there were areas of law where low-wage workers couldn't find attorneys, and we hadn't really engaged in those areas very deeply. And so now we're moving into a new area where low-wage workers lack representation. And again, that's when they they um, are not able to get unemployment and they should be able to, where they get hurt on the job and where they're getting their wages stolen, but private attorneys aren't taking those cases anymore because of arbitration clauses of class action bans. And so that's a new program of ours. It's part of what we're fundraising for. Uh, we want that to be a real strong program that both supports workers' movements while also enforcing low-wage workers' rights generally. We're also raising money for our eviction defense program, which is growing. Uh, and we're raising money for our Safe Homes for All program, which brings impact litigation against major landlords that are failing to upkeep their property, failing to abide by the law. There needs to be law enforcement for workers and poor people, and that's what we're building out there. So the ways that people can donate if they'd like to support our work um, is they can go on Facebook and donate through Facebook. They can go onto our website, www.jobsandfreedom.org. Um, those are probably the easiest ways to donate, but of course we're also happy to accept checks um, and uh, cash so we can be old school as well. So um, we, we love to have people support. We are an organization that believes in a base of small donors. Uh, we want our donor base to be large and diverse and um, and so every dollar that we receive toward our objectives is much appreciated. And, and I noticed that you deal with uh, disorder uh, behavior and as it relates to substance abuse and and other disorders. Uh, and I, do you have in housing? 
for these individuals or well, you know, you I'm telling you, there's a lot of organizations named Heartland out there. And I think that's a, I think that's a different Heartland. Uh, we're the Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom. We mostly focus in the legal arena, though we also work with the Missouri Workers Center and Stand Up KC and other movements on their objectives, uh, which kind of falls outside the legal arena. But um, I think that might be a different organization. Yeah. Sounds like they have a good mission. <laughs> a much needed yeah. mission. Because I had gotten it uh, somewhat tied up with, uh, it was a lady that I was, I, I knew years ago, and uh, her name was Shirley Johnson. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And she's connected with this other one, uh, Heartland, yes. that yes. you were mentioning. And uh, guess us a little bit more, because your building is pretty, uh, somewhat large there on the corner of 18th and Prospect. And I think that's the other heartland, Melvin. We're actually, um, we are actually on by the Vietnam Memorial Park uh, between Broadway and Main Street near um, 42nd, I want to say. Um, so we're actually- 42nd and 42nd and- And uh, near Broadway. Uh, we're on Baltimore, so our address is 4120A Baltimore Street, um, and that's tucked a little bit um, behind Westport. I see. And so with this fundraising that once you get into uh, building the funds, and I noticed that you just brought in an attorney that you mentioned uh, to cover some unfair housing, is that what you're saying? Well, we are, we're handling unfair housing for sure. So if somebody uh, is having, are living in unsafe, unlivable housing conditions, our website um, includes toolkits to know how to enforce your rights on that front. Um, we also are handling cases in that area. Um, we brought in a new lawyer to expand our workplace rights or, uh, program. Um, to include pro bono representation for workplace safety, uh, wage theft, and also unemployment. So if a person came to your office and said that they were uh, mistreated in some kind of way or might maybe even been evicted uh, unfairly, uh, how do you go? Do you direct them to your attorney or uh, how do you go about that? Well, you know, we have four lawyers at this point defending tenants from eviction. If they are in Kansas City, Missouri, they have a right to counsel under the right to counsel program that we and other organizations won uh, back in late 2021 that went into effect in summer of 2022. So if you are a Kansas City tenant and you're facing an eviction, you should absolutely uh, exercise your right to counsel and get lawyered up. Um, if you have a lawyer, you're much more likely to avoid eviction than if you don't. Um, so typically there's a, there's a centralized intake process for right to counsel uh, for those facing eviction in Kansas City. And you may end up with a legal aid attorney, one of our lawyers, or a UMKC school of law attorney. The three of us are working together to staff the right to counsel program in Kansas City. Um, if you're outside of Kansas City, what we would probably do is give you uh, free legal advice around the best ways to handle your case. Um, we also have information on our website to help tenants who are outside of Kansas City handle their cases. 
Um, if you're living in unsafe and un uninhabitable housing, um, there, you know, two thirds of low income tenants are living in unsafe and uninhabitable housing. So we have not built the capacity to represent those thousands of tenants. Um, but we are taking cases in an effort to try to change the landscape and introduce law enforcement uh, for workers and poor people in an area where there hasn't been any. So if you're living in bad housing conditions and you were to approach our organization, at the minimum, we're going to give you free advice. Um, and then we, if it's a case that we can handle and we can take, we may actually take your case and try to enforce your rights in court. Yeah, well, you know, what you mentioned, because it happens a lot in the inner city. Right. And I was and I was just wondering, uh, how do you get this type of information into the uh, inner city so they can be exposed to this information so they can pass it on? Then possibly you may even be overwhelmed with the with, with uh, <laughs> people coming in uh, with this type of uh, a situation in their life. Because it happens, it's pretty prevalent in inside the uh, inner city, as you probably right. already yeah. know. Yeah, and it shouldn't be right. It's just what it's what society has come to expect. If you're poor, uh, if you're a person of color living in a poor neighborhood, well, then you're you're gonna have bad housing conditions. It's an accepted norm, and it shouldn't be. It's illegal. Uh, every tenant, it doesn't matter what part of town you live in, east side, west side, north side, south side, you have a right to safe and livable housing. And so we are really trying to change that norm and especially to do so on the east side. Um, and we're not overwhelmed because we do have a self-help um, process for people. So at the very minimum, if somebody's living in bad housing conditions, we're going to provide them with a toolkit that they can use and, and deploy themselves to exercise their rights. Um, and so we're not too worried about being overwhelmed. We're getting the word out through um, our website, through programs like yours, through social media, but also really our eviction defense program is hugely informative on who, who are the bad actors out there, what landlords are failing to keep up their property because they're suing tenants, right? They expect uh, to hold tenants to their side of the bargain. You promise to pay rent, you're not doing it but landlords aren't being held to their side of the bargain um, and until now. Hopefully we're changing that. And so we're seeing an eviction court. Tenants are being sued, but they're living with cockroaches, bed bugs, mice, infestations, plumbing leaks, leaks, roofs falling in, um, really unsafe and, and some pretty disturbing conditions. And so that's really informing our work as well in terms of who we need to focus on in order to assert the change that um, tenants want. And you are alluding to the fact that uh, especially bad actors as it relates to slumlords. And what about these uh, slumlords that happens to live out of the country and own uh, property within the inner city? And they may have managers or something like that in the city that doesn't care because they don't have the resources themselves other than contacting the slumlord out of the yep. country. Well, how do you go about that? We're, 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 we're going to make them care um, by bringing lawsuits against them that they've never had to face before. These are lawsuits that um, simply enforce basic standards of habitability that the courts have been requiring in Missouri since the late 60s. But there hasn't been anyone um, to enforce those rights in a really proactive way. And these, these companies that you're talking about, these out-of-state companies, they have billions of dollars. 
Um, they have the money to upkeep the properties. They have a very specific investment plan not to do it, to buy the properties, to fail to invest in them, um, pocket that money that is necessary for upkeep and for repairs. The value of the property goes up anyway. They flip it and sell it with no regard to the tenants who are living in those horrible conditions. And um, we really are are working hard to try to build this program that's going to seek to um, put an end to that. And it's a program that seeks to use the collective power of tenants. You know, class action cases um, are the, the only type of case where people can come together and use their power in numbers to seek real change. And through these cases, we don't we're not just looking for um, compensation for tenants for what they've been through, but we're asking really the courts to order these um, owners to clean up the property. And uh, we've had some success and uh, we're going to continue going down this road and uh, do everything we can to try to to try to help uh, tenants change the way that they're that they've been living. I applaud you for all the work that you're doing as as it relates to looking out for low-income uh, tenants in plighted areas, for lack of a better word. And how do you, let's say, for instance, because I've seen it on television a lot and about people complaining about their living conditions and because of the landlords not uh, addressing some of their issues. And let's say, for instance, that you're not uh, connected with that individual, do you go and connect with that individual or how do you do that? Or uh, even if that's your area of doing that? Yeah. Well, they, they should start by going to our website. Again, it's www.jobsandfreedom.org. The most important thing, if you are a tenant and you're living in substandard conditions, you have roaches, you have mice, you have rats. Sorry, this is gross first thing in the morning. Uh, you have sewer flooded in your home, these kind of really severe conditions. The first thing you, you should do is make sure that you've documented your request for repairs. So um, most tenants are absolutely telling the landlord when there's a problem, but it's not always documented in writing. So we encourage tenants to put uh, their request for repairs in writing. It can just be through an email. It can be through a portal, but make sure to save a copy. It can be through an old fashioned letter. We have a, a form letter on our website that tenants can use and then keep that. Because if you haven't reported it in writing, then um, you, you don't have as, uh, you, it's harder to enforce your rights. So you put it in writing, make sure that you keep a copy. After that, if they don't fix it, you can consider uh, calling Healthy Homes with the city uh, by calling 311 um, and ask them to come investigate. If the conditions are really severe, like you don't have water, there's some chance sometimes that they can shut that housing down. So if you're not sure whether to call, feel free to check in with us. But typically it's not that kind of situation. They will come out, they will identify uh, violations of code and they'll put the landlord on notice and that can kind of escalate the situation and can sometimes get landlords attention and get them to do what they're supposed to do with the pressure of that program. Uh, but that doesn't always work. That's all not always enough. Um, uh, that program doesn't have, you know, the, the strongest teeth. It has some for sure. Um, so if that doesn't work, we also have small claims forms so that you can take your landlord to court and see if you can use the courts to get them to enforce your rights. Uh, and so those are some things tenants can do to protect themselves. Remember, Kansas City, you are listening to Jones of Justice right here on KKFI 
90.1 FM on your dial. And we're talking to Miss Gina Sheella, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, she's the director of Heartland Center. And let us know where you located again for our listening audience and just uh, audience that just tuned in. We are on 4120A Baltimore Street in the Westport area of Kansas City is where our office is. And uh, tell us just a real quickly, we only have about four more minutes in the okay. broadcast. And I really appreciate you coming on air with me. And tell us a little bit more about your fundraising and that type of thing before we close out. Well, Melvin, we started as an organization of two in 2017, and we have slowly grown over the years. And then most more recently, we've really um, attempted to expand because that's what tenants and workers are really calling on us to do. So we're expanding our right to counsel program because um, there's the eviction filings are going up and more attorneys are needed. So we're expanding that staff. We're expanding our workers' rights programs. And that's the reason why we we could really use your financial support, uh, your listeners' financial support. Doesn't matter if it's $10 a month or $10 period or $100 or a thousand. Uh, we would welcome your support. It's extremely important that we not just rely on grantors uh, for funding. When we have a broad base of lots of people supporting our work, it means no one can pull the rug out from under it. It's the people's organization. And so uh, if people want to donate, please go to our website, Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom. You can just Google it uh, or find us on Facebook, Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom. So are you reaching out for volunteers or anyone that may be interested in uh, coming and volunteer and doing some work and advocating we, do. Uh, we we love volunteers. So if somebody's interested in volunteering, please call 816-278-1092. 816-278-1092. If you want to do some work with tenants or with low-wage workers, uh, we, we'd love to have your time. What are some of the other things that the uh, volunteers could do uh, that may be able to, to assist when what you're doing, especially in your fundraising time? Well, well, that's, a, Melvin, you're so helpful. Okay, so uh, <laughs> volunteers can come help us phone bank. So we'll be doing a phone bank uh, a little bit uh, later in December. And so if people wanna help us call uh, our supporters and remind them that uh, it's that time of year to give, we would love that. Um, and if people could share our posts, go on Facebook, um, go on Instagram, go on Twitter and share our posts to your friends and ask them to donate. That would be awesome. Um, otherwise, what we have people do is talking to tenants, you know, to volunteer, talking to tenants, interviewing them, finding out what their problems are, and then trying to provide them with the information they need to uh, enforce their rights. Uh, and we also have leadership pro uh, development programs for low-wage workers. We're teaching storytelling to low-wage workers um, and other speaking skills. And so if somebody um, happened to have some skills in that department, we'd love to uh, work with you. That's great. Thank you, uh, Gina Sheella. Uh, Sheella is close enough. I'm not mad at Thank you for being my guest this morning on Jaws of Justice right here on KKFI 90.1. Go out and continue to do what you're doing, and you're doing such a great job here in Kansas City. 
keep on keeping on and have Thank a great you so day. Much. Thanks Take for care, having Kansas me. City, and go Cheats. That's right. <laughs> it's the 420 Drug War News. Today we close out our discussion with Major Neil Franklin, now retired former head of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, 35 years wearing the badge up Baltimore Way. Along with the Reason Foundation, like you said, about incrementalism, we do need to end it right away. Um, the longer we let this go, the more harms that will occur. If we had, if we had decided to end this right away, just say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we wouldn't be dealing with fentanyl today. If we had decided to end this, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we wouldn't be dealing with uh, crystal meth like we are today. We wouldn't be dealing with fentanyl. We wouldn't wouldn't be dealing with car fentanyl. We wouldn't be dealing with a whole lot of nasty uh, uh, drugs that were, and very potent drugs that we see out there today. we wouldn't be dealing with this issue at our border the way that we are right now today. We wouldn't have the violence throughout Mexico and throughout Central America <clears throat> causing many people to want to migrate to the United States, many of them being forced to come north under the threat of harm to them and their families. You know, we, we you know, Mexico would be uh, thriving with businesses and opportunities for people to work and earn a living instead of wanting to come here to earn a living. There's so many things we wouldn't be dealing with if we had just decided to end it, like you said, just do it and end prohibition altogether. So the sooner we do it, the better we are. And I'll end with this, is that LEAP, along with a a couple of other uh, organizations, decided to put together a drug legalization handbook. And you can find this handbook on the Reason Foundation website. I will go ahead and put it out on my social media, but it was just released and it's just starting to, uh, to, to hit social media. It's just starting to hit some other platforms. Um, we'll soon have it on Leap's website as well, but it's a drug legalization handbook. And uh, just real quick, you know, it, it covers the, the history of drug prohibition uh, it goes into things like adult recreational use, sensible retail markets, you know, therapy for drug dependence. Um, it's got about uh, 16 or 17 chapters to it, financial financial institutions, taxation, I, just what we need to know about regulating drugs in this country and beyond. Uh, it's a great short read, and I think people will gain a lot from it. So, that was Neil Franklin, former head of LEAP. They're out there on the web at lawenforcementactionpartnership.org. And I am Dean at drugtruth.net. What am I gonna do now? Am I gonna make it? Somewhere, somehow Well, maybe I'm not supposed to know We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about something to talk to your neighbors about and a reason to get involved 
As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD.